Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Tonight, the courtroom drama and the surprising turn in the trial over Ahmad Arbery's killing. The man accused of murdering the 25-year-old jogger takes the stand in his own defense. Travis McMichael, one of three men on trial, explains why he shot Ahmad Arbery. I want to give my side of the sword. Jail time for the so-called QAnon shaman. The January 6th rioter sentenced to more than three years in prison. Tonight, his extraordinary speech likening himself to Jesus and Gandhi. The judge's reaction. Historic censure. Congress votes to rebuke a Republican lawmaker after he's depicted killing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in an anime video posted on his taxpayer account. Overdose deaths skyrocket. The number of Americans killed reaches a record high during the pandemic. How fentanyl is fueling the crisis. Rittenhouse Verdict Watch, the latest from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Thanksgiving travel alert. New details on a major storm expected to slam the U.S. just as millions hit the road for the holiday. Supply chain crisis, our rare access to one of the world's busiest ports, where workers tell us why it takes so long to get products from ships to shelves. And that 10-year-old who tried to take Pope Francis's cap. Tonight, his mother tells us about the miracle that came next. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We want to begin with testimony today from the man who shot and killed Ahmaud Arbery. Travis McMichael is accused of murder along with his father and a neighbor who chased Arbery through their Georgia neighborhood before killing him. The men say they suspected Arbery of burglaries and were attempting to make a citizen's arrest. McMichael told the judge that he wanted to tell his side of the story and he teared up as he described the moment he fired his shotgun three times at the unarmed 25-year-old, calling it a life or death situation. McMichael says he fired in self-defense when Arbery tried to take his gun. 
Prosecutors say there's no evidence of Arbery committing crimes in the neighborhood to justify the chase and the deadly encounter. Arbery's killing has prompted Georgia lawmakers to repeal most of the state's citizens' defense law. CBS's Omar Villafranca leads off our coverage from the courthouse in Brunswick, Georgia. Good evening, Omar. Good evening. A bit of a surprise that Travis McMichael took the stand. Only time we'd really heard from him was 911 calls or police body cam video. But today he gave his version of what happened. I want to give my side of the story. I want to explain what happened. Instead of invoking the fifth, Travis McMichael gave the jury a first-person account of what he says happened the day he shot and killed Ahmaud Arbery. McMichael broke down crying as he described the final deadly confrontation captured on cell phone video as a fight for his life. What were you thinking at that moment? I was thinking of my son. It sounds weird, but that was the first is, is the first thing that hit me. What did you do? I shot. Why? He he had my gun. On February twenty third, twenty twenty, his father Gregory McMichael spotted Arbery running from a home under construction. The younger McMichael says he grabbed a shotgun and jumped into his truck with his father. Prosecutors have argued that the McMichaels and William Roddy Bryan chased Arbery through the neighborhood after suspecting him of burglary. Did you want to stop Ahmad Arbery and talk to him? I did. McMichael also talked about his law enforcement training while in the Coast Guard and mentioned how pulling a weapon on someone can make them comply. During cross-examination, prosecutor Linda Dunikoski discussed his point further. So you learned as part of your time in the military, that you can't force people to speak with you. That's correct. Okay. And that if someone walks away, you have to let them walk away. Yes. You were trained that displaying a weapon may be considered psychological coercion. Under certain situations, yes, ma'am. Arbery's mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, was asked about McMichael crying in court. Her response, can you imagine the tears we have shed? Cross-examination of McMichael will continue tomorrow. Nora? Omar Villafranca, thank you. And we want to turn now to a dramatic and historic day at the U.S. Capitol. Republican Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona became only the 24th member in the history of the House of Representatives to be censured. Gosar earlier this month shocked his fellow lawmakers, posting a violent animated video targeting Democrats. Here's CBS's Chris Van Cleve. Will Representative Gosar present himself in the well? Tonight, a historic rebuke on the House floor after controversial Arizona Congressman Republican Paul Gosar posted an anime video depicting himself flying through the air and killing Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and then heading for President Biden wielding two swords. Representative Paul Gosar of Arizona be censured. Gosar is now the first member of Congress to be simultaneously censured and stripped of his committee posts. I do not espouse violence towards anyone. I never have. It was not my purpose to make anyone upset. Gozar's censure, a punishment just short of expulsion from Congress, was pushed by dozens of House Democrats, including Ocasio-Cortez. When we incite violence with depictions against our colleagues, that trickles down into violence in this country. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy called the vote an abuse of power. The speaker is burning down the House on her way out the door. Republicans Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger joined all House Democrats in voting yes. 
how censures are rare, happening only six other times in the last century. Gozar is an ardent Trump supporter who has spread baseless claims of election fraud and falsely called January 6th Antifa provocation. His own family has called for his removal from office, even appearing in a campaign ad for his 2018 opponent. We got to stand up for our good name. Also tonight, a federal judge in Washington sent a message sentencing the so-called QAnon shaman Jacob Chansley to nearly three and a half years in prison, calling his actions horrific. Chansley is one of the most recognizable figures on January 6th, wearing face paint, fur and horns. He told the judge, I was wrong for entering the Capitol. I have no excuse. And the behavior is indefensible. And tonight, Steve Bannon, who is facing criminal contempt of Congress charges for refusing to cooperate with the January 6th committee, is pleading not guilty. He is set to be in court tomorrow for what's described as a virtual hearing. Nora? Chris Van Cleve with all the news here in Washington. Thank you. And two days of deliberations in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial are over tonight, and the jury in Kenosha, Wisconsin, has not reached its verdict. National Guard troops are standing by as the city holds its breath, awaiting a decision on the teenager's fate for shooting three people, killing two at a violent protest. CBS's Nancy Chen is at the courthouse. Against your Second Amendment right to defend yourself. A crowd of demonstrators grew Wednesday on the steps of the Kenosha County Courthouse, as inside, Kyle Rittenhouse's defense team asked for a mistrial. The argument concerning this drone footage showing Rittenhouse shooting and killing Joseph Rosenbaum. Rittenhouse's lawyers say they only recently learned there was higher quality video. We're talking about a potential life sentence here, so I'm making that request. Jurors asked to see the video in their second day of deliberations, along with several others. Rittenhouse faces five counts, including first-degree intentional homicide for killing two men and seriously injuring another. With no verdict, residents like Scott Carpenter hope to avoid a repeat of the violence that engulfed parts of Kenosha and burned his family-owned furniture store to the ground. I pray that it stays peaceful that cooler heads will prevail, and we realize that burning down our town is not how to act. And the judge has yet to rule on the defense's motion for a mistrial today or on a previous request for one. In total, jurors have been deliberating for about 16 hours and will be back tomorrow morning, Nora. Nancy Chen, thank you. Well, tonight, the CDC is sounding the alarm about a record number of deaths in America from drug overdoses. For the first time ever, more than 100,000 deadly overdoses were recorded in the U.S. over a 12-month period that ended this past April. CBS's Manuel Bohorquez tells us what's fueling the troubling surge. Tonight, a grim statistic. One American is dying from a drug overdose every five minutes, according to the Office of National Drug Control Policy. The CDC estimates more than 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses over a 12-month period ending this April, a record. That's nearly three times the number of deaths from traffic accidents last year and more than twice the number of gun deaths. Darian and Tawana House of Pensacola lost their 18-year-old son Rajan to an apparent drug overdose in July. It's hard to even put in words the, the difficulty of me going on without my son. They blame the availability of the opioid fentanyl, which is sometimes slipped into other drugs to increase potency. Like what happened with our son, he didn't necessarily know what he was taking in. He thought it was just normally what he 
does on the regular as a teenager. But it's not just affecting those who choose to use. Last month, an Alabama woman was arrested and charged after her one-year-old daughter allegedly overdosed on her supply of fentanyl. The baby was revived by paramedics. There you go. The pandemic has been, in many ways, a perfect storm. Dr. Michael Barnett teaches health policy at Harvard University. We have a lot of work to do to expand access to life-saving treatments like naloxone or buprenorphine, which can really save lives in addiction, but are not widely available um, for people that need them. Barnett says he does not see the crisis easing in the short term. Today, in a statement, President Biden called it an epidemic of loss and cited the $4 billion from the COVID-19 relief package, which are aimed at expanding services for people with substance abuse issues. Nora. Those numbers are just staggering. Manny Bajorquez, thank you. Well, Moderna today asked the FDA to authorize its COVID booster shot for everyone 18 and over. The FDA could take that step for the Pfizer vaccine as soon as tomorrow. The White House, meanwhile, says 10 percent of kids 5 to 11, that's 2.6 million of them, have rolled up their sleeves for their first shot. All right. Two of the three men convicted of assassinating Malcolm X more than half a century ago are about to be exonerated. The Manhattan D.A. today apologized to the two men, saying they did not get the justice that they deserved. CBS's Maurice Dubois has more on how history is being rewritten. Muhammad Aziz and Khalil Islam always maintained their innocence in the 1965 assassination of Malcolm X. Now, after 55 years, their convictions will be vacated after a two-year investigation led by the Manhattan District Attorney found prosecutors, the FBI, and police withheld critical information that should have cleared their names. I do believe there will be attempts on my life. They're foaming at the mouth. The decision comes after this six-part Netflix series called Who Killed Malcolm X? raised new questions about Malcolm's assassination. He was killed in a barrage of bullets while speaking at the Audubon Ballroom in Harlem. The DA's office reopened the case to look at the men's convictions after the series was released. Two of them weren't even in the Audubon Ballroom that day. We sat down with Phil Bertelson and Nyla Sims, who produced the documentary. The FBI had eyewitness testimony from presumably the nine informants that were in the room that day, about who did the crime. A third man, Talmadge Hayer, confessed to the killing, but Islam and Aziz never did. Islam died in 2009. Aziz is now 83. He spent 20 years in prison. If I wanted to do it, I couldn't have done it. So that means they knew what they were doing when they put me in jail. And late today, Mohammed Aziz put out a statement saying, in part, I hope the same system that was responsible for this travesty of justice also takes responsibility for the immeasurable harm it caused me. And the decision to exonerate both men is expected to be officially announced tomorrow. Nora. Maurice Dubois, thank you. And tonight we're examining what's behind the bottleneck at the nation's ports. CBS's Carter Evans goes in-depth with a rare behind-the-scenes look at just why it's taking so long to get merchandise off of cargo ships and onto store shelves. To truly understand the supply chain logjam... Nobody knew who we were. Longshoremen, what is that? You have to start at the docks. Ramon Ponce de Leon represents the 14,000 longshoremen at the ports of L.A. and Long Beach. Because... There is no space in the yard. There's not that much we can offload. 
you have nowhere to put the containers when they come off the ship. That's correct. That's because containers still waiting to be picked up are taking valuable space. This massive cargo ship holds about 5,000 containers. Normally, there'd be four to five cranes just like this one, unloading as fast as possible. But today, there are only two. Crane operator Ricky McRae makes the daily ascent to his cab 14 stories up, but he says his container count is down more than 20%. When people say, why aren't the dock workers moving faster? What are you thinking? Right away, I feel like I'm the bad guy, first of all, but I tell him we're doing our part, we're doing our best. He could easily unload faster if there were somewhere to put the containers. Why aren't there trucks lined up for miles to pick up all this stuff and get it out of here? I suppose they don't have a place to put it because the container has become the warehouse with just-in-time delivery. Just-in-time delivery is a cost-cutting strategy to import merchandise only as needed, reducing warehouse space. But that backfired with pandemic shutdowns. You may think these trucks line up and pick up the first load available. That is not the case. They are here for specific containers, and sometimes they're in the middle of the pile. It's like a giant game of Jenga. Move four containers to get to one on the bottom. Is that common? Yes, it's very common. Just for one container? Yes. And this year, dock workers expect to move a record 20 million containers through these ports. We have family that lives here and needs the same things any other American needs. And we have skin in the game because, you know, quite frankly, we're going to be paying the price for any costs that are raised as a result of this congestion. Now, some of these containers stacked up here at the port are actually empty. And today, California Governor Gavin Newsom said more ships are coming to get them out of the way. He also says he's looking for vacant lots to park some of these containers so it can give longshoremen room to do their jobs. Nora? You really explained it so well. Carter Evans, thank you. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Some holiday travelers may be extra thankful just to get to their turkey dinner next week. Forecasters are tracking a major storm that could bring snow, rain, and high winds from the upper Midwest to the Northeast and as far south as North Carolina and Tennessee. Even where skies are clear, airport security lines will be long. The TSA expects to screen 20 million passengers during the Thanksgiving break. All right, Queen Elizabeth made her first public appearance in nearly a month today. The 95-year-old monarch met with Britain's top military officer at Windsor Castle. And look, she appeared to be in good health. There has been concern about the Queen's health ever since an overnight hospital stay last month. A sprained back forced her to miss a ceremony for Britain's war dead on Sunday. 
All right. Well, nothing is going to stop this young superhero from conquering cancer. His name is Noah, and he's just two years old. Just look at that joy as he celebrates his last day of chemo. Noah's had lung surgeries and even a liver transplant. His mom wrote on Instagram, hip, hip, hooray, last day of chemo is today. We are rooting for Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Are you Noah? Throughout the pandemic, Pope Francis has spoken about the healing power of prayer. Now a mother whose young son recently met the Pope says there's nothing more powerful. CBS's Chris Livesay has the story. It's not easy to upstage the Pope, unless you're Paolo Bonavita, the 10-year-old Italian boy enchanted by Francis and his cap. The Pope offered that seat as a compromise, but persistence pays, and Paolo walked away with the prize. It turns out simply going up and down the stairs was the real prize for a boy with severe epilepsy and autism, says his mom, Elsa Mora, especially after his health took yet a new turn for the worse. The doctor was almost certain it was a brain tumor, she says, but Francis told her he would pray for Paolo. He took my hand and said, for you, the impossible does not exist. About three weeks later, she understood what that meant. She says doctors told her his test results showed no sign of cancer and his symptoms have improved. His classmates are elated. He taught us a lesson, they say, that when you need to do something, do it with all your heart. And what would you like to tell the Pope? Thank you, she says, for the miracle. Chris Livesay, CBS News, Southern Italy. And that is some good news. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. News. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News in our Eye on America series, we'll tell you who's stepping up and taking the wheel amid America's trucker shortage. And we give it a go, too. And if you can't watch us live, don't forget you can DVR it. you got to see how that story turns out. All right, that's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in our nation's capital. See you tomorrow. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 